Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 163. We didn't think of nothing. Recorded October 5th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. The uh, title that Seth put in here temporarily was We'll Think of Something, and we didn't. So I've just officially made the title of the show, We Didn't Think of Nothing. <clears throat> um, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your goofy host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and I, we are joined currently by only, as if he's not enough, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the Element OPI Faithful. We are so glad you could stop by this week. So we got one of these uh, last-minute emails from Chris saying, Hey, guys, I started a household project that should have been a 15-minute project, and I'm now an hour into it. I'll catch up with you when you can, when I can. If you've ever done that, then you know we may or may not see him tonight. Um, those 15-minute those projects can sometimes take days. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, that. Uh, let me fix this little plumbing thing. Five minutes. Yeah. That's all it's going to take. Two days later, no showering in the house. Can't flush the commode. <laughs> so yeah. we've all been there. I was going to replace the a leaky gasket on a toilet, the wax ring on a toilet. Um, and the, the, the bolts that hold it to the floor were so rusted, I couldn't, couldn't get them off the, the couldn't get the thing off. And so I, in the process of trying to pry it off, I snapped one of them off. So at that point, the only choice I had to remove that toilet was to take a sledgehammer and break the porcelain around the bolt so that I could lift it out. So at that point, you've committed to putting in a new toilet. And again, this was one of the things that's supposed to take an hour. So I did that. I smashed it, picked it up, and as I was carrying it out, it was awkward. I dropped it. Porcelain shattered, scattered all over the floor, up and down the hallway for 15 feet in either direction, and created a little little sharp landmine. So I had to clean all that up. Then I go get a new uh, toilet. So yeah, that uh, little you know I expected it to take about an hour. It was a day, a full day. So these things happen, especially if you have an older house. Yes, they do, especially if you never actually finished working on your house you just kind of got it to a livable <laughs> position and stopped so uh, yeah your house yeah. is kind of like that it's been in that state for what 35 years pretty yeah yeah something like that you know yeah there's you know like we can use the upstairs bathroom now but for the longest you couldn't it was just there and uh i, I had a friend uh, in high school they they moved out to the country and of course the country was the small town i lived in and they pitched it they bought some land and didn't have the money to build a house they pitched a tent and this family of four lived in this tent through one of the coldest winters i can remember um and then that spring threw up a one-room house and that one-room house is what they all lived in for years i mean uh, all through high school and even later, then at one point they threw up another room, but it was just like a, like sheets of plywood stuck together, like a shack, like a prairie shack. Uh, and the guy, the the dad made a lot of money. He did some something with technology. He wasn't poor. It was just they didn't have the resources to to hire somebody to build a house. They were going to do it themselves, and it took 
a decade or more before they finally actually built a house. Um, and I guess you can get used to just about anything. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, that's what you know. And what you, what you put up with at home, you would kill somebody for, you know, and <laughs> you would kill somebody on the street if they did it. But, you know, the, that's home. That's your normal. And yeah. so, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, people, it's amazing what people, uh, can function with as being normal. I guess maybe that just goes to show you how spoiled we are, you know, in our four bedroom, two and a half bath, two car garage house, complaining that the kitchen's just a little too small for entertaining. Um, yep. All right. So this week is uh, actually in the last, starting in September, but for my family, it was this week. It's apple season. And uh, here in Georgia, that's a big thing. We have like apple festivals and the whole thing. So if you head just a few miles north up from where I live, you go to this little town called Elijay, and there are just apple orchards as far as the eye can see in Elijay. And it's become a thing to to have uh, pick your own apples, and then uh, you have events that have sort of sprung up around that. And there's this place we've been going to the last couple of years called the B.J. Reese Orchards. Um, and this year they've expanded beyond – uh, anything they ever uh, they ever had before, and like to the point of like building new buildings for stuff. They're they're really growing, and so we went out there yesterday, uh, Saturday, and you you buy essentially a a bushel or a peck, um, size bag, and you just go out and you can just fill it up, um, and <clears throat> then they have pony rides and they had a zip line and pig races and, um. The one thing that we did was they had to set up some air cannons and they would load them with like the, the bird picked apples, whatever, you know, they just have thousands of bushels of apples they can't sell. So they load them in the cannons and let you shoot them. That was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, wow. That does sound fun. Yeah. So it was great. We just, we spent the whole day together, uh, doing that, um, because that's what you do in North Georgia. So apple season is here. I have three, four. A bushel and a half, and if you if you don't know how much a bushel is, it's uh, probably think of a good size laundry basket. That's a bushel, more or less. So I have one and a half of those of various flavors of apples hanging around my house because you get stupid when you're out there. Oh, I need this. Oh, and I need this, and I need this, and you realize I haven't eaten this many apples in my life since the day I was born. And now I own them. So we're going to be making apple pies and apple sauce and then probably throwing a whole bunch of them away. Yeah. You know, dried apples, apple scented fragrance, potpourri bags. Barbie <laughs> yeah. will probably go crazy with those. Um, but yeah, you know, and uh, at Bushel, think about something as big around has a basketball goal as deep has a basketball net, but not kind of pulled in at the middle. And that would give you a rough idea of a bushel yeah for all of you non-country folk out there yeah so a book a pack is a half a bushel or a quarter of a bushel i can never remember which a peck is a quarter yeah so the we bought four peck bags so that's a bushel between us and then bought more apples other than what we picked so we picked four pecks of pickled peppers no of of apples Um, I, I would, I'm going to have to, after this show, look up those terms. Where, where did bushel and peck come from? 
Um, I don't know, but there, my grandpa had, I mean, he not like a super huge farm, but you know, he farmed several acres enough to uh, have a couple of tractors. And so I was quite familiar with having to pick a bushel of peas um, when I was growing up by hand, not the yeah. most fun thing in the world, but um, you know, it is what it is, I guess. I I have character now, dad gummit. So, um, I, I'm familiar with apple butter, right? It's 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 basically super cooked applesauce, so that it's really right. really sweet and brown and yummy. I had, I didn't know there was such a thing as peach butter. Another thing Georgians are known Georgia is known for is peach. So I bought some uh, some peach, um, butter as well as apple mm. butter, and um, was introduced to something called chow chow. Are you familiar with that? I'm not familiar with that one. Think pickle relish, like the green stuff you put on on hot dogs, but made with pickled cabbage instead of pickled cucumbers. Oh, that yeah. just—I don't think I want to think about that. It wasn't bad. It was—I mean, it was very sweet in that same way that pickle relish is sweet. Um, but it was—it was odd. Um, apparently it's a Georgia thing. Um, and people just buy it, and they—you can get it in the sweet or the hot or the super hot. Um, which I tasted, I sampled some of them. They were all sweet. You know, they, it was, it was basically like the hot or mild, but they all had that syrupy relish kind of undertone to them. But right. it was, it was weird. I'd never heard of it. And then I heard a friend talking about it. And then the very next day I saw it for sale. It's weird how things like that happen. Like when you hear a new word you never heard before, and then right. suddenly it's all around you. You know, I wonder if it's one of those things you've just never heard about, or you've you've seen, but you never registered because you didn't know what it was. I wonder if there's a psychological aspect to that. Yeah, I mean, you've, we've all seen that happen, right? You you right. learn something new, a new concept, a new word, and then suddenly it's there all the time. Um, so Chris has joined us. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the hey, show. Hey, Chris. Hey, welcome, welcome everyone. <laughs> so we were we were just sort of vamping. In the way that we do, uh, we're talking about weird foods that are regional. Um, ah, okay. Um, so you'll be joining the Hangout. I sent you a second invitation. So while he's doing that, Seth, um, tell us how stupid you were this week. <laughs> Man, well, you know, September was my uh, hard month financially because I paid for my Linux con trip. And then um, I got this guy wanted to meet me so much. He ran into my car at the intersection and I had to pay for that and waiting on the insurance company to pay me back. And just, just as a side, well, no, I, I don't think I want to, I want to bad mouth his insurance company, but I'm going to be nice and not, um, they were very lackluster in their customer service abilities. Um, but anyway, so I, I made it through the month and I had enough money. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to pay $500 on my credit card. The only problem was when I went to pay, instead of putting 500, I put 5,000 on there. And while I make decent money now, I don't have $5,000 in my bank account and the bank, I have, a, I work, I'm in a credit union, so they only charge me $25 for the uh, NSF thing. And, uh, I had to call the credit card company and say, um, how do I do this? Because I overpaid you and my bank sent me a letter saying they won't honor it. So I went in and paid them $4.75. So I'll still have some money in my account. <laughs> yeah. So that, uh, that, that's maybe an artifact of online bill pay that probably is less likely to happen when you're writing a check because you have to write the zeros and then write the words, but right. online you just type in a field and go. 
Right. Yeah, and you know, and I, I got the confirmation email saying, you know, but I just glanced at it and I saw 500 when in actuality 5,000 was there because I was digging through my deleted items looking for that email and I was going to say, you messed up. And I was like, no, I messed up. So, oops. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah, I did a boo boo. Yeah, that's, I did, I was told Seth, I did something similar. I misplaced a zero on the on the other side, and the bill was say a hundred and seventy dollars, and I sent him seventeen dollars, and I got a nasty <laughs> gram, and I was like, "No, wait, I paid that," and then I went to look back. Yeah, I paid it a fraction of what I actually owed. Oops, sorry about that. Hate when that happens. So, Chris, did you get your uh, project finished or just finished enough? Finished enough to make it through the night. <laughs> I'll have to go down to the local store and pick up some more stuff tomorrow because of course in you know little town montana the uh you know hardware store closes on saturdays yeah yeah it's uh it's it's one of it's a it's an axiom that everything takes longer than you think i have learned that whatever however long i think it's going to take i need to add 50 percent to that oh and then some because this particular problem um if it would have been done any way close to being the right way, I wouldn't have had it near as many problems. But yeah, my landlord's not the smartest apple in the tree. When I when I'm traveling, I leave what I call idiot time. That's time for me to be an idiot and still get there on time. Yep. I always leave myself idiot time. And it may not just be you that's the idiot though, it may be the people around you. That's true. There there's plenty of idiocy, idiocy to go around. That's right. Oh yeah. Okay. Um I guess that's that's enough random vamping. Um <laughs> We've got quite a bit of listener feedback this week cuz I I dedicated last week to a particular topic. So we have uh, a a bevy of it here, which is great. We love having lots of listener feedback. And this isn't all of it. I have more for the next show. Uh but uh, we'll jump in here. Damon says it's not a bug, it's a feature. You remember I was talking last week about uh, um not being able to move between different networks with the same SSID and how I, I said, you know, that that shouldn't be the whole point of SSIDs was to be able to move from one network to another without reconfiguring. Figuring. <clears throat> Damon has a comment on that. He says, hi, all. I think I know the problem is Mark having with his Wi-Fi since changing his router. I'm pretty sure the connection issue is because the Mac address is changing. I've noticed that Windows will look for an SSID, as will Android, but some of the Wi-Fi managers that I've used under Linux check the Mac address against the SSID, unless configured not to. So I assume it's a security feature. Given Hack5 selling their pineapples, which spoof Wi-Fi access point SSIDs, it seems reasonable that one way to thwart a device that says it's whatever your SSID, uh, your device is, is asking to check for a MAC address. WICD allows you to configure your Wi-Fi and check a box that will apply the settings based on SSID only. I've seen similar options on other network software on Linux as well, but I don't remember the particulars. As always, I enjoy. Keep up the great work. Um, so that that sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, though, my Linux box didn't have a problem with it. My Windows boxes did. But it, it, the logic s- stands to reason to some degree. If it's a, an access point, a Mac, uh, Mac address you've never seen before, make somebody reauthenticate. I, I, I'm okay with that, except that nobody's going to say, oh, no, this is a problem. They're just going to say, why do I have to enter my password again? 
So if that's a security feature, it's only a security feature for a very small percentage of of knowledgeable people. Of us neckbeards and command line guys. (laughs) Yeah, the weirdos. I I wouldn't have thought twice about it. Now, however, had this happened and I hadn't made any hardware changes, I might have gone, oh, wait a minute. But maybe not. I probably just would have done darn thing and reauthenticated mm-hmm. and gone on with my life, which is exactly what I would do if Darren Kitchens was walking around my neighborhood with a Wi-Fi pineapple. I would give him my world because as soon as something <laughs> went wrong, I'd just go, crap, I hate having to do this. And I'd re-enter the credentials and go on with my life, and he would own me. There you go. It wouldn't happen to me because I would have to see somebody walking around the outside of my house <laughs> and I would say, who are you? Get off my lawn. I, I knew a guy, I, I won't say his name because I'm scared of him, who had sort of advanced uh, notice features on his large property. He Let's just say he knew you were there before you rang his doorbell. And he was the kind of guy that if he didn't like what he saw, you wouldn't make it to the doorbell. Nice. Those, those wow. people exist. Yeah, yeah, I could I could think of a couple people that I know that are that either are on their way to being that type of person yeah. or are that way already. Yeah, Montana, Texas, the wide open spaces country yeah, yeah. is where you're gonna find those people. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the, the the supposedly wildlife cameras hooked up in places that don't point at wildlife. Yeah. yeah. There's not a deer feeder within a hundred miles of here. What are you looking at? Yep. Uh, yeah. Bigfoot. He, Bigfoot. Yeah, you know, Bigfoot. If you're walking Sasquatch. around the country and you hear banjos playing, you should probably <laughs> backtrack really fast. You sure do got a pretty mouth. Uh, <laughs> all right. You move. know, it, I was going to make a comment, though, real quick about his, his thoughts there about the SSID and the Mac. And yeah, that makes sense when you're just ch- when you're talking about one SSID and one Mac. But what about those locations that have, you know, like uh, Arrowhive or any of those mesh networks because those don't all have separate mac id they all have unique mac ids on the access points so why does it transfer over cleanly on those but not on what you did mark i i don't know that's that's the only monkey wrench i'll throw in that one maybe it's because they're all from the same manufacturer so like the first octet are the same and maybe or you have even an aerial hive that's a mesh network you have a controller so you have a governing logic over all the mesh and so then it would see and it's usually an enterprise type setting so yeah yeah so let's talk more about stuff we don't know about uh, <laughs> um mark the arch user defends vim aha of course thank you mark does. Uh, he says, I enjoyed your last show, but I have to take exception with the comments on Vim. I've used Vim for a year or two, and yes, the learning curve is steep, but Vim Tutor was quite helpful in learning the basics. A couple of other programs, namely Elinks and Tmux, help greatly with the more obscure commands. Tmux is a terminal multiplexer for when you're stuck at the command prompt, and Elinks is a terminal-based web browser. This combination has gotten me out of a few problems. On a side note, I'm also a MUT user and use Arch 2. So, Mark, you just made my point for me. Thank you. <laughs> you had to use two devices and um, uh, reference materials to use a command line editor. Thank you for proving my point. <laughs> but those are really good tools, and if you want to learn how to use Vim, there you go. 
<laughs> Even you, Chris, you say if you want to learn how to use Vim. <laughs> well, that makes my I'm, point I'm for bowing, me. But, but I'm bowing down because everybody doesn't want to be in the command line. So if you want, if you want to learn Vim and because of the fact that you might get locked out of things or I don't know, X crashing and you have to, you know, rebuild your X server configuration three, four times in a day because you're tinkering. I have no idea what that, why that would be a problem, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. let's just go on. Let's just go on the light that Vim helps. It never hurts. So Vim is a flavor of Vi. And Vi is pretty much everywhere you want to be. Anytime you yep. drop down to a command shell, you can let, type the letters VI and get something. So, yes, it is useful to know it, but can't we come up with something better? That's, that, that's one of my big problems with open source and the Linux community in general, is once we have a tool, the neckbeards go, yeah, well, we've already got that. <laughs> There's no really need to work on anything else. We've got Vim. Vim is great. But Vim isn't great. Vim sucks giant rocks, um, but we live with it because it works. There's this huge market out there for somebody to write a simple, menued, ASCII-based text editor that any monkey can use. But the idea is monkeys don't need to be in the command line, so we shouldn't make it. And I just think that's, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. I could just see, you know... The, somebody could take your same argument and apply it to a whole operating system. You know, why isn't there more choice? It's called Windows. Somebody did so, apply my argument to, to an operating system, and they made Windows, and it's so simple a monkey could use it. And that's not a bad thing. Well, oh, not okay. all the time. I mean, yes, you can get yourself in trouble. That's true, but you can certainly get yourself in trouble using Vi and not knowing what you're doing, too. Yeah, yeah. I really can't defend that, but I will say that it's worth learning. We'll just go there. It's worth learning. Put my grumpy pants on today and didn't even know it. I'm going to have to. I I guess. I'm going to have to label these grumpy pants and not put them on before (laughs) a show. Uh, Either that or your your soapbox dancing again. (laughs) Jeff writes in and offers some advice to Joe, who's become pretty much a co-host here with his recent feedback about uh, his network. Uh, Jeff says, your podcast has made it to the top of my rotation in my list, and I've utilized a lot of your suggestions in my home network. I built a Boris box with PFSense. Well, actually, it's a VBoris box since it runs on an ESX host. A Plex server, a free NAS NAS, and just recently installed an OB phone box. All of them are working great. That's great. That makes my heart feel good, Jeff. It I do does. have one piece of advice to the listener who wants to build a NAS and Plex. Don't put them on the same box, especially if you have a small CPU, and especially if you want to stream high-quality video. That's two especiallys in one sentence. I installed the Plex plug-in for free NAS, on my, and my Atom processor, processor nearly keeled over. I was unable to transcode anything over 2 megabit bitrate without it buffering every 5 to 10 seconds. I installed Plex onto a virtual machine on ESX, and the buffering went away. Also, for his sanity, I don't recommend virtualizing FreeNAS. Although the FreeNAS is free, they offer free support, but the overlords that run the forums will publicly flog you if you mention virtualizing their project, product. Feel free to share this with the other guys, the email, uh, and you can keep uh, – I, I didn't delete what I was supposed to delete there. Again, thanks for a good show. Um, 
Uh, I didn't Jeff, know FreeNAS is so angry about virtualizing. Yeah, well, I, I, I public I can flogging. Sort of, wow, I can, I can sort of understand that because if you're trying to virtualize your storage, that's a stupid, stupid, stupid idea. Yeah, and so maybe they they have so much experience with people trying to virtualize storage that they can't break apart the virtualizing the controller on physical storage. And I guess a lot of people who are noobs wouldn't know the difference anyway. Don't ever virtualize storage. We've said that before. Don't do it. Yeah. Use real storage and a virtual uh, machine to access real storage. Uh, but there his point about, <clears throat> about not installing the Plex, the Plex plugin is interesting. I hadn't thought about it. But a lot of NASs, you know, if you buy like a Buffalo NAS or whatever, um, they're going to be running a very low-powered processor because you don't need much to be a NAS. And then right. you throw Plex in there, and, and Plex will suck up every bit of processing and memory resources it can get by design. That's what it want, what it's designed to do. Yep, and um, then it'll right. kill it. Yeah, so I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point, um, whatever it'll your name is. I just fire. forgot Jeff. Yes. Um, so there you go. And Jeff, Jeff wrote this email on the, the end of a donation. And that's the part I was supposed to, that I forgot to delete. Uh, I don't, I don't like to publicly announce the fact that people make donations. Jeff, you're awesome. Thank you for doing it. But he, uh, his comment was good without the fact that he gave me money. It's better because he gave him. No, I'm going <laughs> And, and Jim, says that we overreacted to Shellshock. The subject of his message was, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Um, he says, hi guys, before you get your panties in a twist about that $30 Linksys box, check with Bradley Kuhn and all the lawsuits he did about Busy Bro. Well, Bradley's on my speed dial. I talked to him just the other day. I don't know who this guy is. Um, and all the lawsuits he did about BusyBox. Embedded Linux consists of a kernel, a couple of drivers, and BusyBox. And no, BusyBox is not Bash and doesn't even have this and doesn't have the same vulnerabilities. Jim, all right, you're right, Jim. A lot of systems, particularly ARM-based systems, um, uh, do run a very stripped-down kernel slash um, stack, and that's about it. And BusyBox is is a very popular one. BusyBox uh, is on my Pogo plug, for example. Right. It's running like a 400 megahertz Atom processor. But there's also a lot of hardware out there that is beefier than it needs to be. Um, like, for example, I bought a while back some Linux um, Lexmark printers that ran a Linux kernel on a gigahertz processor with 8 megs of RAM. Um, you can do a lot on a gigahertz processor with 8 megs of RAM. Yeah, and, I can. Uh, I don't know if they had a full-on Linux installation or not, but I suspect that the printer guys weren't interested in building a tight, button-down, um, very secure operating system to stick in their printer. I'm sure they went and grabbed something off the shelf, shoved it in, and called it good. And I think there are probably oh, several million devices in the world like that. I would love to be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. See, I just did a quick little look up on a couple of sites that I track for um, exploits, and for like anybody who's replaced their um, firmware on those Linksys boxes with WDDWRT, uh, according to the re the write down of it, it says that by default you would not be uh, a target for for shell shock, but if you've installed some of the plugins that bring Bash with yep. them, then you're stuck. 
So, yeah, by default, some of those, you know, embedded systems may not be targetable. But if you brought in a bunch of extra bits and pieces for plugins, you know, if you had, uh, for some reason, let's say the FTP system you installed onto your embedded system has Bash built into it, you're now effect, you're now affected by Shellshock. So, yes, you're probably right, Jim. We probably are a little overreacting, but it's enough of a big, it's a big enough deal to make everybody aware just to be sh- so everyone can double check their stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm not known for being one who overreacts. If anything, I tend to, to underreact. I rant a lot, but when I actually take action, um, I tend to be as, as minimalist as I can. I don't like to, to react on, on, what I think might happen. I want to react on what is really happening. But this one literally, not literally, figuratively scares the pants off of me. I'm wearing pants, so it's not literally. <laughs> but it's a scary, scary thing because it's been a, Here's what bothers me the most. It's been around for two decades or more, and it was just made public. That doesn't mean that people just now know about it. Right. And, you know, and once people started looking for it, they were finding it everywhere. Now, does that mean that hackers got on it, uh, crammed stuff together? I know it, it's already in, you know, uh, like Metasploit and things like that. Did yep. it just get out there that fast? Or was it already out there when we started looking for it? I don't know the answer to that. But it's still, it's a big deal. And it's scary to me. And there's a lot of people that are, st- that are scared about it. Uh, a lot of the different places that I look for security news, you know, Sophos for being one of them, they're panicked about it there's some places that are saying this is the what you need this is what you need to take care of blah 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 um the sophos write-up is a really good one um they usually have great write-ups over there at sofo at nakedsecurity.sophos and the one that they wrote up for the shell shock is a good one if you need to look into it and see what could be possible uh take a look and that jumps us right into our uh, first news story of the week uh, a ZDNet article, the shell shock fact. Here's what you really yep. need to know. That's um, another and, good one. Yeah, it's a it's a good one, Seth. You want to tell us about that? Well, I mean, I was just putting it in here because we did talk about it last week, and we really didn't have any answers. So, I this is one of those things where I think pretty much the whole article is good. Just you know, go to our website, click on the link, and take a look at it because it does a really good job of breaking down you know who it is who's vulnerable and kind of some of the steps you can take about it um yeah so here's here's what i like in this list how are people exploiting it web servers all right that's a given dhcp servers yep or the clients not the servers the 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 clients right so it's it's not uncommon for dhcp to call the shell to do various things if your shell is compromised there you go. SSH, that's a little obvious. You got to connect into it. Anytime you're connecting, that's good. Uh, that's a red uh, flag. And then Co- the biggest one that I think is the biggest vulnerability of the whole article. Cops. The common, yes, the common, common Unix, Unix printing, printing system. system. So most of us don't interact with cups. We interact with some GUI built yeah. on top of cups. But if you've got a printer installed on your system, it's probably using cups. And and it's you know it's scripting it's built right in there. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, 
The other one that's a, a, a big factor is, um, like it says in the article, it says bl- browser plugins or anything that's using, oh, what is any of the scripting languages? Cause you can just call out, you know, any of the, what is the last, um, what is it? Python that you can just do a call to the terminal. Yeah. And then you are a system when you do that call. So even browser plugins are some basic little widget program that you downloaded from the website that's written in Python or Perl can call to the shell without you knowing. Yeah, so, uh, um, Jim, if you're not scared, then good. You're a better man than I am because I'm scared. Uh, not that there's anything I do about it, right? So I'm not there's a difference between being cautiously frightened and worried scared isn't the right word uh a cautious concerned and you know panicking i'm i'm not i'm not unplugging i'm still doing this show on a linux box i still have linux all over my house and and my android phones and all that sort of stuff so i'm not panicking to the point of running to my storm shelter um or my fallout bunker but it is something that has me on heightened awareness i'm much more careful now about what I do and, and, and systems I link to, uh, until we can kind of get some kind of handle on this thing. And we may never be able to get a handle on it. That, that's, that's my biggest concern. It is so widespread and so entrenched, um, that we may never truly get a handle on it. It may be like NIMDA or Code Red. It's just hanging out there for decades and we just, we just have to be aware of it. But there's nothing we can do about it, and that's that's why it concerns me. It's a big, big deal, and and also the precedence it sets that people are now starting to look at these old code bases, and we weren't as security conscious back in that day because it never email, for example, email yeah. assumes everything you send is truthful. This email, who's this email from? It's from. Uh, Joe at Microsoft.com. Okay, I believe you. I'm not going to run any checks on that. I trust you. And I want to send it to Joe's mom at CNET.com. Okay, fine. I'm going to do with that. And I have an attachment that's just text. Don't bother looking at it. Okay, I won't. And it sends it on. That's a basic conversation between two mail servers. Well, now we know that every step along the way, that could be exploited. But when it was designed, nobody even thought about that. And so that's one of the reasons it's so hard to get rid of spam and so hard to crack down on mail viruses and things like that because the system wasn't built for it. What else are we going to find where the system was built inherently trusting in what has become an untrustworthy environment? DNS. DNS is, yeah. Yep, that's another one that people don't really pay much attention to. But DNS, you can be taking... All sorts of craziness with DNS. Uh, yeah, when we've been have... trying to do DNS security for a decade now. And it's but not there. It's not entrenched yet because there's so much there's so much inertia just to stay mm-hmm. with what works, what we know works. If you implement something new, it could break it. And DNS is mission critical. If you don't know what DNS is, if you're a, a grandma listening, hi grandma. Um DNS is uh there, there's no such site as Disney.com. It's 136.57.13.95. And, but humans are really bad at remembering groups of four triple digit numbers. So the DNS was invented so that we can give human readable names, Microsoft.com, and it will go to the right set of numbers. So it's essentially a big in, uh, phone directory of names and numbers. Well, there's all kinds of ways that that can be hacked. 
like for example, you think you're going to Microsoft.com and you go to Bob'sTerribleSite.com, and there's if if the DNS system redirects you without your knowledge, there is nothing you can do about it. You That's can't right. know it because all of our security, you know, SSL, all that stuff is based on correctly connecting to the right thing and verifying yep. that you are who you say you are. Um, so yeah, that's that's a thing that's out there, and people have been worried about it for a while. Fortunately, the distributed nature of it makes it a little harder to abuse because there's so many DNS servers that it's it's hard to take over all of them. Yep. Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, any other comments before we move along? I think we're good. Okay. So moving off of shell shock for a while, uh, we need to remind you once again: Ohio Linux Fest is coming. Yes, I want one of their T-shirts. <laughs> you know you what I mean. One. I want one. Those are nice T-shirts. I like the big yeah, they penguin. Look pretty good. And you can actually have them delivered. So if you go to the website, you can get it delivered to your home. Um, it's the actually the top thing on their website now. But yeah, it's the twelfth annual Ohio Linux Fest, October twenty fourth through the twenty sixth in the Greater Columbus Convention Center. That's in downtown Ohio. They have some really cool speakers, um, things ranging from, I think their definition of beginning Linux person <laughs> and our definition of beginning Linux person, not a lot of overlap there, but from the intermediate level person to the neck beard trainers, you got, there's something for everyone at Ohio Linux Fest. So I like how they put in there though, the idea of what level that these could be considered, you know, are they considered intermediate level or beginner or, you know, advanced? I like how they put that in there because if you don't, you know, if you've never been to Ohio before in this Linux at, to one of these Linux fests and you're a new person, man, could you imagine if you're a new person sat down in a room with the kernel development team? All right, but how to learn and develop in cold fusion with completely open source virtual machine running from VirtualBox on a micro distribution of Linux is not something I would call beginner level material. Yeah. <laughs> about that. You I made my stand on that last week. I'm not going to jump on it again, but I, I I think it shows that this show needs to be out there reminding people what a beginner actually is. Well, you yeah. know, I guess maybe if they had a noob level below beginner I, I wouldn't feel bad about their saying <laughs> okay. beginner, but they need to have something that says, we assume you're at least on the ladder before you come here. You know, we're not round <laughs> one. So. so there have been a few really good video games based on movies. Not many, but a few. Do there has never based been on video games. No video games based on movies. Okay. There yeah, has never right been a good movie based on a video game it's never happened you didn't mario brothers dragon? no double dragon no street fighter no well battleship. here we go again <laughs> battleship gi joe it's not even a video game but it was terrible so here we go again with tetris the movie so what, it's going to be falling blocks from the sky? <laughs> so it's like a disaster film, right? Only instead of tornadoes flaming and and throwing sharks at you, it's going to be random shapes falling from the sky, and your only choice is to arrange them in just the right order so that they disappear. 
you know, I have no idea what this movie is going to be, but go to our website, click on the link, and watch the fan-made trailers for the Tetris movie because they are so funny. They're just funny. Um, but yeah, no we cast, had to talk about this. No cast, crew, production date, uh, or release date have been determined. No writer has been named. But it's definitely a real thing. Brought from the same people who brought you Mortal Kombat and the sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. You know, the cool thing about this, what is Asylum's version going to be? <laughs> Coming soon to sci fi Tetris movie. Oh, oh. No, they, they can't use Tetris because, you know, they'll use yeah. like clacks. Shapes. <laughs> yeah. It'll be, sh- yeah, falling shapes, running for your lives. Next week, 9 Central, you shapes. You would watch it. You know you would. <laughs> oh, yeah. It will make our bad movie list. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and put it on there before it's even made. I'm that confident about it. <laughs> oh. I couldn't believe, I, I could not believe I ran across this story. Um, but, yeah. Tetris movie coming soon to um, a video discount bin near you. Uh, oh, okay. So Davy Jones in the chat room says that Tomb Raider was really good. Um, yeah, the first one. Uh, about that. Um, I don't know if we could call that based on the video game. That there, there were attractive people in it running so that's that's good baywatch style otherwise <laughs> not so much yeah i thought the first one was okay um okay so <laughs> like i said there's never been a good movie based on a video game it's never happened um <clears throat> however have you ever been watching a movie it's happened to me several times where you're watching the movie and you say to yourself that scene's only in there so they can put it in the video game. There's a scene in oh, yes. Kung Fu Panda 2 where they're in the the dragon thing going downtown and the dragon is like eating wolves and spitting them out. And as I was watching this, I said to my wife, that's only in there so they could make the video game of it. That's just one example. I've seen that many times. And, you know, Battleship, for example, that whole scene was there just so they could have the name from Mattel. Because right. it made no sense, it didn't help the plot, didn't hurt the plot, uh, but it just it was pointless. But they had to come up with some reason to have a grid that they were following and launching rockets at. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay, um, courtesy of Jeff, one of our listeners, uh, a Canadian school makes the switch from Windows to Ubuntu. <laughs> And says they will save about fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's that's not small, but it's not life changing either. I mean, fifteen thousand dollars to a school budget is not huge. But well, it, depending on the no. school district, that could be a life saving thing. That that that's the difference between having, um, you know, janitors or not for a school year. Yeah, that would pay for I don't know one tenth of the amount of paper an average teacher prints a year. 
So it, it might, <laughs> you know, I mean, realistically, it's going to pay for the lunch lady, you know, or a janitor. Yep. Um, it's it's not going to make a huge difference, um, but it's a step in the right direction. And this is in uh, uh, Montreal. Um, a, a representative from the school board of Montreal contacted the Ubuntu community with a simple problem. The school had an easy choice to make, either upgrade the hardware or to get Ubuntu. So they were trying to save, the, to get more life out of, out of their old computers. Um, and here's my problem with this line of thinking. They have now equated Ubuntu with old hardware. And I made yeah. that same, that I made that same mistake when I was in school. I, put that in the the minds of my teachers and of of my uh, administration ubuntu or linux is good for old crap um and then when we had some money and we didn't need the old crap anymore they didn't want linux anymore so that's an that's an unfortunate mindset that i i'm afraid the that montreal is creating here and and one that i myself did yeah i'm really impressed with the lubuntu team they do a really great job with their cd's um their distro is rock solid every time i've played with it I'm really impressed with it every time. Yeah, and it's very Windowsy. I mean, if you're a Windows user, you're going to be familiar and comfortable with Lubuntu. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, uh, good. I, I just I'm afraid. <clears throat> afraid's not the word. It concerns me when people make the right choice for the wrong reasons, because then later when those wrong reasons go away, they have no reason to stick with that choice. Yeah. <clears throat> But it's a typical problem that people have whenever they're making the um, switch to Linux when it comes to because they're trying to save money. Um, yeah, well, the forced upgrade from XP to, to the Vista to seven or nine or whatever when XP died and you had to go somewhere and you couldn't put any the, the modern operating system on your hardware. You got to go somewhere. You got to buy yeah. new hardware to get new software or. You got to look elsewhere from Windows. Those are your two choices, and so I think a lot of people are going to do this. But I'm afraid that it's just going. I keep using the word "afraid" tonight. I'm concerned that it's just going to be a stopgap, and I want Linux to be more than a stopgap. I want it to be a real thing that people treat seriously, and not just as a band aid solution until you can get rid of that crazy Ubuntu stuff and get back to to good old Windows. Right. Because, I, again, I experienced that in my career. That's exactly what happened. Once we got over the hump and we got a little more cash, Linux went away. And it didn't matter wh- how many well-reasoned arguments I made. The boss said, well, we have the money for Windows now. We're going to get Windows. And it sucks when it happens. Th- there it was. So all my efforts, not all of them, but a lot of them went away. Terrible transition. Facebook is now getting into the ad game, a la Google. Again. Yeah, well, now this isn't just putting ads places. This is being the ad service. Yeah. Yeah, they're basic. Well, you know, when even a long time ago, you could, um, Facebook would have a shadow profile on you, even if you didn't have an account, just because of the cookie tracking they do um, and monitoring. And so what they've done is they've aggregated all their data now and now they are part, they are packaging you, you know, again, you move every time you use Facebook. I, I move too. We're a bunch of movers. Um, and so they've, they've taken that and now they're, they're packaging you and they're selling you to, uh, 
to ads targeted specifically for you. You know, it's like there's always been advertising on the internet, but it's just been, you know, random banners and stuff you've clicked on before. But now Facebook is trying to take how well they think they know you and roll it out. And it's a program called Atlas. And it just, it allows marketers to tap it's detail knowledge. And here's the thing. It's not like they're giving their knowledge to the marketers. They're making the marketers come to them and they're hoarding their knowledge. Um, and just to get more refined on you. Um, so it's one of those things, you know, uh, Google, they kind of just throw out what they have and everybody can use it. Um, uh, but Facebook has been notoriously, um, private uh, privacy is the wrong word but uh closed on the amount of information they share about you with other people it's like if you click on a link like if you do a google search and you click on a facebook page for a business you click on that you can't see it unless you log in to facebook first because they don't want something they're not getting metrics on looking at their stuff so um so i know a lot of people panic when they hear you know targeted ads specific to me i want this i recognize that ads are the way things get done as i mentioned just recently ads are the way this show happens of course your donations are great uh, but i started this whole thing with the mindset of selling ads because i knew that was the revenue that was going to make this possible if i'm ever going to quit my day job and make this my day job your donations aren't going to make that happen. I appreciate your donations, but you're just, it's never going to be enough. The only way this is ever going to happen is for me to get tier one ad manufacturer, ad revenue coming in. Yep. Um, and it's not going to be Linux Academy unless they grow as we grow, which would be great. But it's going to it be, seems to be. Yeah. It's going <laughs> to be Audible. It's going to be Amazon. It's going to be uh, General Electric. It's going to be Tesla. You know, it's got to be those, it's got to be the companies that are already advertising for whom, you know, they can throw $30,000 in an ad campaign to me and not notice it, whereas $30,000 is is huge for me. So that's that's the way it works. And ads work best for both sides of the party if they're specific to you. So when I'm on Amazon and I'm looking at something, there's that little strip down there at the bottom that says, People who bought this also bought this. That's targeting the ad to an interest they know I have. And you know what? It works. I look at the, oh, I like this. And actually, it's a little cheaper than the thing I just looked at. And then I click that. That's an ad. And it's a good ad because it gave me information I wanted. And it put an advertiser, somebody who paid money, in front of me. That's the idea. I don't want ads for feminine hygiene products. I may live in a house full of four girls. And so there's all kinds of data coming out of my AP address that says I would be interested in feminine hygiene products, but I'm not, right? But the, they the, right now, the targeting is so crappy, they don't know that, you know? And I get ads for, you know, diapers, and I, so that, was, that was fine years ago, but I'm not there anymore. I want ads that are relevant to me. Why is that such a bad thing? If I have to see an ad anyway, I don't care if I never see another Budweiser ad ever again. I don't drink beer. I will not drink beer. I will not drink it on a boat. I will not drink it with a goat. I'm not a beer drinker. Stop showing me beer ads. But if you show me, you know, ads for sci-fi books, okay, that's going to get my attention. If you show me ads for 
bacon, that's going to get my attention. <laughs> and so what's wrong with a with a with an ad platform knowing enough about me to give me an ad that I might actually want to see? Well, I me, like er, Go ahead, Chris. I want to say for me, I don't I don't have a big problem with advertisements in general. What I don't like is when they track me to sites that they're not advertising me on. That's where I have the problem. And I don't particularly, like, if I'm staying on, with your Amazon example, Mark, that's fine that they can track me on Amazon and, you know, what I'm buying on Amazon and what I'm looking at on Amazon and keep a database of that. But if I jump over to say, um, oh, Internet Movie Database, and then they track me over there for the the movies I'm looking at. Okay. Yes, I've opted in to have Amazon track me over there, but before I even opted in, they were still they were flowing um Amazon ads at me for things. And that bothered me. Okay. So it, it doesn't bother me because I I recognize again that's how the point that's how things get paid for. No, right. Nothing nothing exists without a without revenue. You know, and that's that's a problem. That's that's a concept that many people in the open source community refuse to accept, aka right. Stallman. Um, he refuses to accept that nothing exists without a revenue stream. Um, and so I, I get that. I'm fine with it. You know, and and I saw, um, the Minority Report too. And I saw Tom Cruise walk down the aisles and ads fly out holographically directed at him. And like, you know, th- that was supposed to be dystopian. The writer was, was, was supposed to be painting a grim uh, picture of the future. I saw that and went, cool, I want that. Because then that will be people giving me what I want, which is the whole point. I mean, I, I like it when Amazon just sends me stuff because they know I want it. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but I would like it if they did. Right. Um, so that's that's the thing, you know. Uh, Larry Page or Sergey Ben, one one of them, I don't remember which, said something like, "Google wants to be so good at knowing you, they send you things you that they know you were going to buy anyway." And everybody freaked out about that. And I went, "Yes, that's called the future. That's what I want. I want the world serving me, not me serving the world." Well, I, guess it's I like the discovery nature of the internet and like you know for example i spend a lot of time browsing and i have a lot of technology sites i go to and the only reason i go to them is i'm looking for stories uh for this show in my free time i'm not looking for stories for this show but um a site i used to love to go to was msn because I went there and it had a bunch of different sections that I could just scroll through and look and see, oh, you know, here's what Kim Kardashian's up to. I don't really care about that. Here's what movies are out. They're cool. Here's what's going on in politics. Here's what's, and then I could then, I had this wide assortment I could go through. Well, they recently changed their site and now it's everything is there because I've clicked on stories off of their site like that before. So I've lost the random nature of discovery on the internet and they don't know what I like just because I clicked on something before. The reason I clicked on it had nothing to do with the main body of the story. And so now I'm hamstrung from running across something new because these websites think they know me and I hate. Well, that. you know why that's a problem, Seth? 
because they don't have enough information. That's not a problem of them having information. It's because they have incomplete and, and, and invalid information. If they knew you from, say, your Facebook activities, they would be able to serve you better stuff. They would know you like random crap, and they'd be able to give it to you. If they knew you, if they could parse this show for your input, the, the three hours a week you put into this show, they would know you so well. They would be able to bring you exactly the stories you're interested in, and they'd be able to put to say, you know, uh, not only do we think Seth would be interested in this. Hey, Seth, here's a good story for your link at the end of the Everyday Linux show. That's that would be based on information you freely give on this show every week, and it would be incredibly useful to you. But I wouldn't have found it. I I don't know. It's just I don't <laughs> like it. I, I don't mind ads. I just, I like the random nature of them. So I, I'm a different person. The fact that I don't like it means society will gobble it up. <laughs> I understand that. But doggone it, I hate it. It's just like, it's like if the only hammer you ever had was that little plastic toy hammer that came in your, you know, Bob the Builder box, you would think a hammer is a terrible tool. Right. But if you ever had a really good professional grade roofing hammer, you would think every problem is a nail because this is the best tool ever. <laughs> and so we look at ads and we think they're terrible because we've had bad ads. With the technology is bad. Television, it it's the worst possible example of ads. They just throw things out based on what who they think might I mean I can tell you when I'm watching television with my wife I will tell her they expect um, mothers under the age of 40 with uh, toddlers between the ages of six and, and 12, well, toddlers, but six months and three years old to be watching the show based on this ad. And we're not that. We just happen to like the same show on the Food Network. Right. Right. So that's a right. bad ad. And and their demographics are wrong. With all the research they've done, they missed it in our case. And they've shown us an ad for Fisher-Price that we will never have any purpose to, to use. That's a bad ad. It didn't work for them, and it doesn't work for us. I wouldn't skip through commercials if they were all Super Bowl commercials because they spend so much money on those. They make them general mass appeal. They make them witty. They make them clever. And they give them a message. And that's the reason everybody watches ads on the Super Bowl, even if they didn't watch the Super Bowl, because right. the best work went into those ads. The trouble is the other 364 days a year where they didn't put all those effort into those ads. I can follow your point, Mark. I'm not saying I, uh, that your part is invalid, man. It's just I don't like being – I wouldn't mind being ad, you know, ads given to me that are contextual if it's contextual – uh, on the sites that I want it to be c contextual. Yeah. You you want control and yeah and I understand that. I understand the opt out process. You're bothered that you not only did you not opt in, you can't opt out. I get Exactly. That. I do. That's where I'm at. I don't have a problem and I opt in a lot of sites. Like I said with uh, the uh, Internet Movie Database, I've opted in to let Amazon track me over there. I sign in with Amazon all the time. I sign into places with my Google credentials all the time. So give me the options to opt in and opt out when I can and can and I, you know, and I will. And I think a lot of people would, you know, you hit your, your targets or your Amazon or whatever. And they say, Hey, do you want to log in with Facebook here? 
I bet you that more people would be going, oh, yeah, yes, log me in with Facebook so that I can get contextual ads. Yeah, that's the thing. I think they need to give you a reason to. Right now, it's, hey, it's convenient. You can just click this button and log in. But if people really understood the benefit of it, and it is a benefit despite what the neckbeards may say, better ads is a good thing for everybody. The answer isn't to make ads go away. The answer isn't to block ads. The answer is to make the ads so good that you want to watch them. Or give them the options to watch them. Yeah. You know? Because, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem. Like, um, on YouTube or Amazon or any of the, or not Amazon, but uh, um, Hulu, where the Hulu doesn't give you the option to, to opt out of those ads. But they do give you the option to customize the ad. Yeah. So you could say, yes, I like this ad or no, I don't. And so then it becomes a contextual based on what you're giving it. You're feeding the machine some information so the machine can give you what you want. I like that model better than just random garbage because then I can opt into that change. The, but the thing is, random garbage is cheap and efficient. That's why spammers send spam because random garbage. In it, I mean, have you looked at your spam folder recently? Everybody pause the show right now and go look at your spam folder. If you're driving, you can do this later. Just look at it. I'm going to make a guess that 90% of what's in your spam, not even words. And even if you wanted to buy, if you clicked every message in your spam and said, I'm going to buy from everything that's here, I'd bet 80% of it you couldn't buy from if you wanted to. It's a broken link or not a link. But they've gone through such weird lengths to try to get past spam filters, which don't work because it's in your spam folder. Yep. That they're just throwing word salad at you. That's not even English or French or Spanish. It's not any language. And the words that are in English don't make sense. It's an excerpt from some book. And then when you click it, it goes to a website that you couldn't even pay for if you wanted to because the payment system has been taken offline. The spam doesn't work, yet it's still out there because it's cheap and easy. Yep. We need to find ways to make it better so that everybody... We need a symbiotic payment system, a symbiotic advertising system. Hmm. Interesting. Not, not a parasitic one. Well, and that would be true if, with my opt-in option. You know, if right. if you were given the option to opt-in to contextual ads, it would be a symbiosis. It, you know, we'd be feeding off of each other instead of you just being a parasite. So ad vendors out there... This is your notice. So I believe that the ads that we do for the Linux Academy benefit the audience. I really believe that because they, they're, they're the kind of people, that they sell the service that the kind of people who listen to this show need and want. And that's been validated by the feedback that I've gotten from listeners. They're saying, hey, I, I really love the Linux Academy. You guys turned me on to it. I checked it out. I really liked it. Or I've been meaning to do that. I keep hearing you rave about it. I'm, I, I need to check into it. It sounds interesting to me. These are good feedback. These are good things. That means that it's the right advertiser with the right property, and we're feeding each other. They're growing, and we're growing, and we're feeding each other, and that's a good thing. So naturally, I have to do a Linux Academy ad right now. <laughs> LinuxAcademy.com is where you can go to learn how to be a Linux administrator, step-by-step. Step. They take you from being uh, a, a novice uh, on the first rung of the ladder, maybe the second rung, 
to use Seth's analogy, you can't just be a, a, a total, I don't know anything about technology. You have to be able to at least find a website and watch a video. If you can do that and you're not a, you know, not brain dead, you can learn from the Linux Academy because they make it so easy. Not only easy, but effective. Hundreds of videos now, well over 200, um, that, uh, are, that each video takes you through a simple process. They break everything down and they make, they make the complex simple by making it small. And it's, it's for the blipvert generation. Max Headroom reference there. Um, they, they've made things small so that you can watch it in, in bytes. And then as you're watching it, they've got this amazing virtual lab platform where you can have up to four different Linux servers running at the same time live and communicating with each other with different uh, public IP addresses, and, and, and you can tag them so that they make sense to you and have this really amazing um, virtual server system in this housed lab environment. It's safe. If you hose one, you just delete it and start over again. It's super easy. It's in the Amazon cloud system, so it's lightning fast. So you have this great, robust lab system to play with and experiment with and break things. You learn by breaking stuff, people. So don't be afraid to break things. They prevented, they've given you a, a rubber room with glass utensils where, where you can break everything you want without hurting yourself. And, um, and then as you're watching the videos and, and testing in the, the virtual machines, you also have the writing, uh, the written portion and the PDF study guides that are time coded to the video that you're watching so that, you know, at, you know, four minutes and 19 seconds, they started talking about this. I was a little rough on this. When I went over to the lab experience, I melted my machine. So I probably didn't actually know what I was doing. Let me go back to four minutes and 19 seconds and try that again and read through this PDF while I'm at it. They have all of this in a, in a, a lesson browser function that, that tracks what you've done and what you haven't done. It tracks your quizzes. Did I mention quizzes? Oh, yeah, there are quizzes so that you can test your knowledge. Now that you've done it and once you've watched it, you can go and, and see if, how well you're going to do on a test. Because the whole point of this is to take you to certification. Certification is all about passing a test. Unlike some places, they don't teach you to pass a test. They teach you the stuff you need to know so that you can pass any test given you. That's the difference between LinuxAcademy.com and some other boot camp sites. Passing the test is the, the end result of learning the material. It is not the goal for the, pro, the whole site, site. They're not set up so that you can pass a test whether you know things or not. Are, there aren't quizzes on there on best test-taking techniques. The quizzes are about do you know the stuff that you learned? Can you really administer a Linux server? And their newest feature that they just rolled out is their learning plan system, where you tell them, you tell the system when you're available. Oh, no, you're giving it information. Yeah, you tell that when you're available, how many hours a day, how many days a week, which days of the week, and what you want to accomplish. And it takes their database of, of information, and it fills that into your schedule and says that here's your plan. Monday you do this. Tuesday you do this. We expect you to spend X amount of time watching videos, X amount of time doing uh, lab work, and X amount of time reading on your own. Then when you're done, you at the end of this time, they, when it's all scheduled out, you're ready to go. You're ready to take that practice, practice exam and see if you can pass it. And if you've done your homework and you've learned, you will pass it. You get this for a bargain price of $25 a month. Now, that's a bargain, It's but that's also the most you can pay. If you want to buy three months, purchase a quarter, it's only $20 a month. If you, if you want to, you've tried it out for a while, I really recommend you try it out for a month or two. See if you like it. Then when you're ready to dive in, buy it annually, $199. That's less than $17 a month. 
for all of this stuff that I just t- told you. Not only is there so much stuff there, but it's growing every day. They're adding new stuff, new, not just new videos. They're not just throwing more videos out there, but like this whole lab upgrade that just happened a couple of weeks ago. Boom. Here you go. This whole learning plan thing that just happened recently. Boom. Here you go. There's boom. Here you go. It's happening all the time. It's not just new videos. It's new entire ways of doing things. And they haven't raised their prices for people. They've just thrown it out there and said, here's new stuff for the same price you've been paying. That's why we think linuxacademy.com is a great ad for us to read on this show. And when you go, use the code EverydayLinux in the sign-up box to let them know that we sent you. And moving right along, <laughs> BlackBerry is still a thing. It's still not dead. <laughs> Come on. We need to kill BlackBerry already. Double tap. Well, I love BlackBerry. I hope they make a comeback. And but they're going to have to get... They're going to have to get exponentially better than they ever have been to be able to compete with even the lowest in Android device. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the problem, I mean, there's so the mobile market is so huge now that, <clears throat> you know, you can be a small player and still make a lot of money. Um, they've um, they actually recorded a gross profit. Uh, from their handset operation. Um, they still have, they still had an overall loss, but they're not losing billions a quarter. So it looks like they've kind of turned things around and are on the road to long-term viability. Um, yeah. And so their newest device that they've just launched, I'm not sure if it's available yet. Um, the Blackberry Passport is a square phone, which is unusual. Um, it has a physical keyboard. Yay, BlackBerry. They've always been big on their physical keyboards. But it's a physical keyboard with swipe capabilities, with gestures. So mm. I'm not I'm not sure I'm getting that. The whole point of the the gesture based keyboard was to to fill in the shortcomings of not having a physical keyboard. But this new BlackBerry device is gonna have a physical keyboard with gesture capacity. Um, it's interesting, but because the the keyboard takes up a big chunk of space to make it to give you the same screen size you would have on an iPhone, the device has to be bigger so that you can have the physical keyboard there. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm sold on it, but in this world of people holding giant pieces of glass up to their head to make phone calls, it's not out of character. And it's still funny. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this guy I go to church with, he's six seven maybe he's he's i mean i'm a big guy and he i look up to him he may be six eight he's a big tall dude and he's got uh a galaxy note 2 i think it is giant phone but when he holds it it looks like an iphone 4 you know it's just it just fits in his hand nicely and and it doesn't look like a big deal so apparently everybody apple samsung blackberry expect the world to be giants in the near future Hmm. Maybe. Doubt it, but okay. I know I would rather have a larger phablet than the um, standard size smartphone. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I've got a 5-inch phone, and that's big. Uh, but the new iPhone Plus is 5.7, I think. Maybe 5.9. The new, the the uh, expected Moto Next, the the next Nexus Six or whatever is supposed to be a six or even a six and a half inch screen. So we're going that way, 
Um, and I'm okay with it. Uh, it's but doesn't bother me to put an extra hand on it once in a while. And I think most people, once they move, like I had, I still have it here beside me, my three and a half inch Android device before I moved up to the, to the, the big boys. And I think like most people, once I, at very first I was like, Ooh, I don't know that I can use this thing. But after a couple of weeks, it was fine. And now I go back to the little one. And it's like, oh, it's so cute. This tiny little three and a half screen. It's like it's like a baby bottle. Oh. So, you know, we're going to get used to it. I don't know. One thing that I, I'm weirded out about the new Blackberry is how it's all, it's basically a square. Right. That, that's got me kind of weirded out when I looked at that last time. Yeah, it's square, but because the screen takes up, uh, the keyboard takes up some of the real estate. The screen is actually a wide aspect. Yeah, it's, but it's not it's a sixteen a, by nine. It's it's its own thing. So yep. that's going to make watching videos a little weird on it. Um, and you'll never have to turn your phone sideways, I guess, because it's already sideways. Yeah, it's a full. It's a real square. So you know there is no long way. It's just that way. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all played that game of somebody sends you a picture that was taken um, in landscape view of a portrait object, and you're trying to chase your phone around as you're spinning it, trying to get <laughs> yep. it right. And then finally, you figure if you hold it just like that and lean it and then sort of sneak a peek at it, it doesn't move. Or you turn your head you on the it. side. Yeah, or turn it upside down or something. Yeah, yeah tilt your head. Um, t- turn the phone sideways. We take every picture in landscape mode. Just do it. Every picture you take, turn the phone sideways. The world will thank you for it. Yeah, no more long videos. <laughs> I am guilty of the long video. I have done that. And afterwards, when I was watching it back, I was like, what the heck was I doing? No. Oh, okay. Um, and on the subject of phones, phoning home is not just for ET anymore. Yes, there was an issue, and I just wanted to throw this story out there just to kind of remind people that, you know, these smartphones are really more like, um, you know, they're clandestine computers because you just agree to the licensing agreement to give every flashlight, fart, smiley face app <laughs> out <course>. there <laughs> carte blanche to your system. I have the right to drain your bank account up to five times a month. Do you agree? Yes. Okay. Fine. Whatever. Um, but there was an issue and, you know, of course, you know, there, there's mainland China and then there's Taiwan, the Republic of China and there's a little tension between those two countries. Um, there's actually a Chinese handset maker that, um, one of the ways they get around the texting thing is all text messages are transmitted to their server and they're routed out over data. And, um, well, people didn't realize all the information that was being sent back to the servers. Well, if you're going to text people, then obviously the servers would have to know the address that you're texting to. So it's just one of those things, you know, your phones give out a lot of information. You know, your, the, your location is given out. If you have GPS turned on, even if it's not based on the cell tower, um, the contents of your whatever, depending on the agreements for all of the, uh, the permissions you have to accept, which is one of the reasons I really, I find myself not liking smartphones more and more because like I went to install audacity on my Android tablet, um, and it was like, you have to give permission for this, this, this. I was like, no, I don't have to. I can just use, um, 
because, and again, they write those because the advertising platform they're using, uh, in some point might want to serve an ad based on that. And I understand all that, but you should just, you know, take a few moments and try to realize what information your phone is sending out. So you won't be surprised about it later. And if, if you agree, if you think this is a good trade off, like me, I'm a, I'm a private person. It's like, you know, I don't want you to know that I sit at home in my room and play solitaire. That that's my personal decision. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just wasting my life away playing cards on the computer, but I don't want people to know that unless I choose to tell them. So if you're okay with what your phone is giving out, but just, just know, so you won't be caught off guard later on. And you know, if you're not careful, you may end up literally signing away your firstborn child by clicking Whoops. i agree i thought this was funny there was a place in britain um and they just they were just like how how stupid are people and so they set up this free wi-fi that you had to accept the agreement to take it and there it was called the herod clause um uh let me see i i, I had so it before the security firm f secure Right. Set up a free Wi-Fi hotspot in downtown London, um, and you, it, like everybody who's ever signed up for a hotel Wi-Fi or a coffee shop Wi-Fi, you have to click, I agree to the terms of service, and one of the terms in there was you have to give up your firstborn son, quote, for uh, it, the recipient agreed to sign the firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Six people said, yeah, okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> that just is hilarious absolutely hilarious so f secure says since this was just an experiment quote we will be returning to the children to their parents so that's good news <laughs> but yeah you know it's like who you know it's just like you were talking about earlier you just re-enter your password and go leave me alone i'm right. too busy i don't have time to read this thing that you know i, I might while I'm here, I might go online and pay my bill or buy something with PayPal. Um, and I'll be real, I'll, I'll hold my phone up and do this so nobody can tell what my digit is, but I'll just click and agree to anything. I don't know where I'm sending this information to, but yeah, I thought it, I just thought this was kind of funny and sad and it's kind of a sign of the time. Of course, that's, it's a completely unenforceable thing and, and it, this would never happen and and maybe somebody who read uh, read it even saw it said that's unenforceable it's 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 against law in every country but it illustrates the point that we the, the i have read and agreed to the terms of service is the biggest most common lie ever told on the internet i have yeah. told that lie hundreds of times i have installed various windows applications tens of thousands of times over the years of my career every time i've clicked the i've read and agree button i have never read the microsoft eula <gasps> ever how dare you so i have perjured myself on the order of 50,000 times at least there was a um a website back before Programs like Malwarebytes was so good at removing spyware and malware off of your system. And you had to go through and see what they were and get them off manually. Um, I think it was spywarewarrior.com or I, I don't remember the exact name of the site, but 
he used to install all these bogus applications and see what they did. Well, one time I read a note. He's like, I was unable to install this application because part of the EULA said that you were not employed with, associated with, or in any way affiliated with this forum. And it mentioned them by name. So he couldn't, <laughs> um, you know, because he did such a good job of saying, you know, you have to go, this is what you do to get rid of it, blah, blah. And here, any. It was just kind of funny, you know, because he read the EULA, he couldn't report on how to clean your machine of that stuff. So interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm one of those annoying guys that I have two policies. <clears throat> if it costs more than a thousand dollars, I don't make the decision in a 24 hour time frame. I would spend a minimum of 48 hours to make any decision that costs more than a thousand dollars. And two, anything that costs more than $1,000, I will read every word of the contract given me. So when I buy a car, when I buy a house, you know, anything like that, I sit there. I'm that guy who sits there with the with the salesman drumming on the desk and reads every word of the contract before I sign it. I've never found anything there, but you never know. Right. So I do well, that. That's and, why you do it. <laughs> yeah. And when I, you know, when I go to the timeshares and those sort of things, they're they're always like, "This is a special deal. You can only get it today." Okay, a that's a lie. I could come in here any day and get the same uh, deal. And b I'm I'm I don't make decisions in a 24 hour period. I just I just don't. So every time I've done a test drive, I always tell them that the first thing. I'm not buying a car today. I'm just not. Period. End of discussion. There is nothing you can do. You couldn't hand it to me. For well, for, if you gave it to me for nine hundred ninety nine dollars, I could buy it today. Otherwise, no. Uh, those two rules, just personal rules, I made up for myself. Uh, I believe have saved me much anguish over the years. I'm sure they do. All right, let's find the next interesting one here. Um, Windows nine came out, but it wasn't Windows nine. It's Windows ten, but. Windows 9, actually, it's actually Windows it's 7. Actually, Which no, one it, is it actually? It's actually Windows 10 will actually be Windows 10. And and here's okay. here's my thing. You know, all the way up through Windows 3 and then Windows 3.5, you had Windows 4. Okay, everybody was remembers NT. Windows NT. Windows yeah. 5 was 2000 and on the consumer side, Mistake Edition. <laughs> so that made Windows 6. XP, Windows 7 was Vista, Windows 8 was 7, Windows 9 was 8, and so now with 10, they're, that's my theory as to why they're naming this one 10. They are getting back on their correct numbering scheme. So basically, they're admitting that Windows 7 was just Windows Vista fixed. No, 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 because... <laughs> Five was two thousand, six yeah. was XP, seven was Vista, and eight was seven. Well, see, the, it really doesn't work that way because there there were two strands for so long there. There was the NT kernel and the nine X kernel, right? Um, and yep. so they were parallel. So really, the numbering scheme doesn't work. But you have you know, like the guy who's come up with the uh, consolidated theory of Pixar, you've come up with a way that Windows 10 is actually Windows 10. But generally speaking, when you move from Windows 8 to the next version of Windows, you kind of expect that to be 9. Right. Uh, I think that this was more of a marketing thing 
Apple has been OS X 10 forever. Yeah. Microsoft is finally quote unquote catching up with Apple with Windows 10. Well, it's, yeah, it's the whole reason there wasn't an Xbox two when there was already a PlayStation three, because you would think that three was greater than the two. Right. Um, and then, um, somebody found a story that talked about how whenever the, um, people were writing their check yeah, code to see if it was 95 or 98, they would just do windows nine and then blank. Right. And so they had to, this would have failed all those. They're not going to go back and rewrite that legacy code. So that's why they skipped it and made right. it 10. Cause I just used the phrase nine X. Right. Right. Cause there was 95, yeah. there was 95 SR two. There was 98, and then there was 98 SE. So there are actually yep. four versions of 9X out there. Well, um, there was. I don't yeah. know if very many people are still running it. Well, I mean, the, the the operating system still exists. It's just not in use very much. There you go. Um, but uh, so, yeah, if you did Windows 9 and it was a badly pe- written piece of code, yes, there would be, this could be caught up in it, but really... I don't think anybody at Microsoft thought they might confuse this for Windows 95. No, this was pure marketing hype. They wanted to get to 10 for whatever reason. 10's a nice round number. Well, no, I would have expected them to call it something else. Windows Liger, you know, Windows Fire Dragon swooping down from the sky, death from above. You know, give it a cool, uh, you know, Windows Hodor. There, you know, something uh, instead of just jumping to another number. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, I think it is the the Apple thing. They don't want to be on nine when Apple is on ten because just you have that ingrained ten is further along than nine. So you know it's uh it's why there was no word four or five. Um, you know it went straight from word three to word six because Word Perfect was on version six and they didn't want to be perceived as less than Word Perfect. Right, because you can't be less than perfect. It's already perfect. Perfect. Um, Is you, anyone you have to be? Are, are either of you guys excited at all for the for the new version of Windows at all? No. Woo-hoo. No. I, I just it, and it's not because it's not. I'm not excited about any new version of any software anymore. Operating systems are have arrived. At this point, it's now you know putting fins on the '57 Chevy. We're 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 changing the chrome. We're now with with Corinthian leather instead of Spanish leather. I think Corinthian is Spanish. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, there there's nothing new to do right. in an operating system. When somebody does something new, I'll get excited about it. But right now, it's just ho hum. It's another enhancement, polished version of the same operating system that we've had for seven years now. Something like that. Um, longer than that. I mean, XP Service Pack 3, you could even make a case for Service Pack 2, was sort of the modern age of the operating system. Everything else has just been window dressing. Okay. I can see that. And, you know, it's to the point where Microsoft or Apple has just called everything OS 10 for, what, six versions now? Pretty it's still close. 10. Because they're recognizing that there actually isn't anything new. It's just still OS 10. So yeah. Yeah, anyway, yeah, it's just, so no, I'm not excited. The only thing I noticed when I was watching that preview video and, and I, it's a little bit of the keynote video when I watched that, um, 
is they just took the Windows 8 monster screen and shoved it down into a start menu. Well, you know, it's like the start button that they put back for 8.1. When you clicked on the start button, all it did was take you to the Metro-style <laughs> interface. I'm like, yep. why? So here, it looks like they're actually, basically, if you take your Windows 8X device and you install the free add-on Classic Shell, you will already have Windows 10 and have no need to go out and buy the new but software. Actually, not really. So what they're doing that I think is cool, but not exciting is they're taking that start page and putting it in a start menu. So when you click the start button now, you get the active tiles that were on the start page before. And you can resize them, you can move them around. In fact, you can make that start screen as big as your whole screen if you wanted to, uh, the start menu. So that's clever. That's a clever way to have their cake and eat it too. They've, they've taken the thing that everybody hated, moved it into a menu that everybody wanted, but the, you're not really giving them a menu. You're just menuizing the thing that people hated. Yeah. Uh, and there will still be independent apps running there. There will still be live tiles there. You'll be able to drag things to and from that. So it's you know it's a clever hack that they've done. But no, it doesn't excite me. No, I was. Yeah, I don't. I think it's kind of a waste of uh, bandwidth to tell you the truth. Um. So you know, we'll see. It will be the dominant platform. There, there's there's just no question about that. Businesses who didn't like Windows 8 are at a point in their upgrade cycle where they've got to do something else. They won't be able to stay on 7 because, you know, hardware manufacturers aren't selling anymore. So, Well, and 7 years, support ends next year, I think. Right. So, so 14 months into its release cycle, it will be the dominant platform. Yeah. Whether it deserves it or not, it will be. That's the power of inertia. Sad, isn't it? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's sad. It's just that somebody needs to make something so much better that people jump from Microsoft. And the Linux guys aren't doing it. As much as I like Linux, you guys aren't doing anything better at all. Yeah, it's just iteration. There's no yeah. game changing. And you're, you're busy fighting over Wayland or Mir or, or you know whatever. And you're not actually doing anything useful. And neither is Apple. And neither, nobody is. So somebody is going to have to make something exponentially better. It's got to be 10 times better than any of the operating systems we have today before anybody's going to care. Yeah. And and I don't think it'll be Linux or Mac or Windows. It'll be, you know, Sysdenunix, something that doesn't exist. Some guy who's in his garage right now tinkering over a terminal is going to, is working on what everybody's going to be using in 2040. I just don't know what it is yet. Hmm. I'd buy stock in it if I did. <laughs> or, you know, somebody like Microsoft would buy it if they did. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and right. that wouldn't bother me, frankly. If Microsoft bought something that made them better, good. That's another one of the things that's good for everybody. The, the stagnated state of affairs is not good for anybody right now. Especially if you're trying to sell hardware. Try to be Intel right now in a world where there's no reason to buy new hardware. Yeah. Look, we can put 16 cores on a chip. So, all I ever do is Facebook anyway. Yeah, we only need two. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a boring time in terms of innovation. It's a great time to be alive because we're we're figuring out new ways to use the technology we have. 
but we're at a place right now where there is no new technology right now. Um, and that's, that's sad for me as a, you know, as a pioneer, I lived in the, I, I grew up in the age where we invented the desktop computer. I guess I'm greedy. I keep expecting to invent new things. Uh, maybe that only happens once a generation. Maybe my kids will see it, but I won't. Yeah, maybe. Dang it! I want my flying car, or my I was hoverboard. A flying car. Yeah, I want my hoverboard. hoverboard. Why yeah, well, you wouldn't be able fine. to take it over water? <laughs> yeah. Well, it would float. You just couldn't <laughs> kick it. Yeah. So the thing is, if you had the hoverboard, then you could have a stand-up hover paddleboard. There you go. Right? See? You just need a paddle or like a, a stick, gondola style. <laughs> All right. And our last story of the week, um, there may or may not be an advanced iOS virus targeting protesters. Yeah. From the stuff I've seen, it's pretty much confirmed um, that they've found a virus that specifically targets the iOS operating system and the people who are running it seem to be anti protesters in Hong Kong. It's one of those, you know, you have to like click on a link where you think you're looking at somebody's Twitter pick or something like that in order to get infected. But it was just in, um, it was kind of an interesting story here. Um, it's the first indication that really sophisticated guys are shifting from affecting PCs and laptops and going after like iOS and mobile devices. So well, uh, if you run, say, an oppressive regime mm-hmm. and you have a large body of people who are protesting your oppressive regime, but all of those people use the same operating system, wouldn't you oppress some programmer? And defining a way, because what this thing does, it's a spyware, essentially, app. It captures text messages. They're not interested in taking down a single guy. They want the whole infrastructure to collapse. Right. So it, this just makes perfect sense to me. If I were Grand Poobah of China, I would have told somebody to do this. And they're probably it probably already exists for Android as well. just hadn't been found yet. Yeah. Right. So this doesn't. This doesn't surprise me. And because they're in China, it's entirely possible that every version of the iOS software released in China already has a backdoor written in it that they can install this app on. We know Apple can install and remove apps. There's nothing, there's no reason to think they wouldn't have signed an agreement to do business in China that says the Chinese government gets to install and remove apps at will. Yeah, all they need to have is, is a certificate, basically. So yeah, that uh, nothing about this is unbelievable to me. Um, it's not surprising; it's just frustrating. Because if they can do it in China, why can't they do it in the U.S.? They probably can. Um, and we're probably doing it to them. It's espionage. Spies doing what spies do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, and it's so just I, you know. there's no impervious operating system. Oh, I have the shiny bobble 2.0 i'm impervious i can do whatever i want to see this thing that says if you download this i will take all your money you can't do that because i'm on shiny bobble 2.0 what happened to all my money you know it's just (laughs) you have to (laughs) there nothing is impervious um there's only the myth of 
invulnerability that's out there. And that myth is cold comfort whenever you've lost your digital identity or, you know, you've lost, you know, you, your credit card was hacked and it takes years to recover and writing the credit bureaus and all that junk. So be smart. Um, when you're doing anything, there's a reason Achilles mama didn't flip him over and dip his feet back in the river too. We needed that morality play. We needed to know that no matter how powerful you seem, everybody has a chink in their armor. So, um, you know, yeah, Linux guys like to say that we're invulnerable as we've seen with shell shock and Heartbleed, we're not. Yep. Uh, Mac guys like to believe that they're invulnerable, you know, as we found they're not. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, just <sighs> there's kind of, it's hard to find a takeaway. From, I like to have a takeaway from every story. The takeaway from this one is we're all screwed. Just deal with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, no, the takeaway from this story is the way they got it was they had to click on a malicious link. So that's True. how they got it. So, you know, again. But the link was crafted in such a way that if you were a Chinese dissident, you would want to click on it. It's always, as I mentioned a few uh, episodes back, the human is always the weak part of the element. It doesn't matter right. how good your encryption is, how secure your passwords are, you're the soft spot. You're the meat jelly that is the, that's holding the whole thing together. And if they, if they can make you do something stupid just for a second, it doesn't matter how good your armor is. That's true. And we're all just meat jelly. Meat jelly. <laughs> are you jelly, jam, or are you something else? I'm, Maybe I'm marmalade. <laughs> yeah. Are you marmalade? <laughs> so there's bits of Seth Rind mixing. I don't, <laughs> moving on along. Seth, what happened this week in history? Uh, this is actually pretty cool and germane to the show. Uh, October the 5th, 1991, the first official version of the Linux kernel version dot ought to is released. Sorry, I just zero, had the ought in there. 0.02. That's a low version number right there. Yeah, but that was wow. the first official version. So, so yeah, so 0.01 was beta never never left his laptop i guess uh 91 it wouldn't have been a laptop huh so that's no. cool yeah well i mean I, I guess if you had a big enough lap maybe but uh no it was probably yeah. a desktop <laughs> machine you remember when they used to be called portable computers and they had like a five inch black and white screen or green and white green and white, tube yeah. screen in it yeah, I remember those. Yeah, looked I, like it, a, a suitcase, and the keyboard was yeah. attached to the bot. Yeah, um, I have a non-working one in my closet at home. Yeah, and they uh, <laughs> they they were portable. They only weighed fifty or sixty pounds. I mean, it was it was practically nothing. Yeah, practically. Uh, they, <laughs> they were. They, I don't know. think they had battery though. You still had to plug it up. So. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't using a fieldable. It was just portable. Golly, could you imagine taking like our smartphones and just going back to 1991 and say, hold on, let me pull up Yahoo and see, you know. (laughs) Yeah. You would be a god if you took a fart app (laughs) back to the Middle Ages. (laughs) You'd be a wizard. You'd be a wizard. Merlin, 
Merlin was actually just a guy who fell through a time loop with an iPhone. No, you know what you could do to make sure there was never an iPhone? Take one today with a fart app and say, hey, Steve, this is what happens. <laughs> this oh. is what's going to happen. He would go. Kill the project, guys. He no would kidding. go crap. I don't want that. <laughs> and, not, and look, there's a choice. I have 14 of them loaded. <laughs> All right, and so next nice. week we will be joined by Jen Wiki Wike. I'll have to ask her. Um, who is who, Seth? Well, she's someone I came across on, I believe it was opensource.com. The reason that I, she caught my eye was she was doing, she had mentioned that she was going to be taking the Linux uh, MOOC and actually load it on her computer and go through. And I was like, hey, how would you like to be on a podcast about Linux called Everyday Linux? And um, we kind of talked back and forth. And so she's going to be on here. So it looks cool. She's... um uh, we'll have, of course, the whole bio next week, but she's on the web, uh, has a pretty good blog going. She, um, provides content for several cool open source type, uh, pages out there. Yeah. And in, in one of the emails back and forth, she lied and said she has listened to and likes the show. So, you know, we know she's, uh, willing to, uh, ingratiate herself by telling blatant falsehoods. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Depending on which one she listened to, she, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, we've had some good ones that were entertaining, um, to say the least. Uh, present company excluded. No, anyway. Uh, oh. so Seth, what do you have for the, this week to bring my productivity down so that you look like a better hiring option? Well, this week, um, it, this is about ads.info slash choices. And, you know, we talked about Facebook and there's a whole bunch of different, um, companies out there and this is the consumer opt-out page for the self-regulatory program for online behavioral advertising so um, that's a big mouthful but you go there and this is browser specific so if you use 10 different browsers you have to do it on each one it doesn't follow you across browsers it there's a list of companies that participate in it uh, a list of those companies that actually customize ads for you and then you can choose to opt out of them you're not opting out of advertising you're just opting out of targeted advertising so people won't be sniping at you they'll be blasting you with both barrels from a shotgun you're, you're still going to get shot at it's just it's they're not targeting you nothing personal um yeah so what this does is it doesn't stop any ads it just makes sure you will see worse ads this is a guaranteed worse ad generator yeah it's the, the opt-out of everything this is the uh placate the but, privacy people such as myself make us feel better uh and it is scripting galore, man. I started, oh, I clicked yeah. on this before Seth started talking about it and it just loaded and, and, uh, no script just load. went utterly nuts. Um, ad blocker says there are 126 elements they've blocked on this page. Holy Jamoses. Well, when you go to it, it first has to see, cause you know, like I say, there's 117 companies and it has to scan your system to see which of those are currently targeting you. So it takes a, it takes a few minutes to run when you first click on it. Um, but yeah, so, and you know, if you're someone that doesn't care about such things, then, you know, move along and, Next week, I intend to go back to the absurd, funny stuff because I've done serious things for long enough now. Good. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple of 
uh, of shows of non-Linux content. We're going back to some Linux content next ne- next week, so I'll apologize in advance for that. Next week's episode of Everyday Linux will be about Linux. I'm sorry, uh, but I promise we'll get back to the everyday part a little later yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to us, and uh, if you if you are interested in supporting the show, I would love to do that. Uh, love you to do that. You could do that at elementopi.com slash Patreon. Uh, you can donate as little as a penny uh, for each show or as much as a million dollars, you know, if you want to. That, I, I'm i not going to put an upper limit on that. If you want to do $10 million, you know, that's fine. I, I, I won't stop you. How about this, Mark? If somebody donates a million, we will come to their house and do a private show just for them. Oh, I'm going to live in their basement. I'm going to move in. <laughs> I live here now. If you donate a million dollars, you just bought me. <laughs> I'm your manservant. I will well, put I your socks on. We'll for you never get that now. <laughs> yeah. Somebody was sh- about to submit. Yeah. And they, they said, whoa. I'm pretty we sure the it. odds were low on that already. Um, if you're doing shopping over at Amazon already, please use my link, elementopi.com slash Amazon. Your experience doesn't change. I just get a couple of bucks for sending you there. If you're interested in audiobooks, elementopi.com slash audible. Free trial there. You get uh, a free book of your choice. Um, you sign up for the $15 a month plan, but you cancel it. The book is yours to keep. Um, and there's always the donation button on PayPal. So now that I have prostrated myself and begged for money, I will thank you once again. Also, as long as I'm asking, rate us and review us on whatever, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and review us. And then once you've done that, go to iTunes and do it, because none of you people are using iTunes. But seriously, that's the place where all the, the guys who are going to give us money look. So I appreciate those who have done it, and I would appreciate it if you continue to do it. So now that I'm done begging... Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for being great hosts. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Mics.